last Sunday was, was awesome, yeah? I really in, enjoyed it. When we got home, Shelley said that was a little bit of a this is your life kind of Sunday, wasn't it? And so, um, but I'm grateful to God for what he's doing in this church and the, and the opportunity, opportunities he's bringing us. And it was good to see the place filled up and, the, and some um, people who had been part of our history who came and visited us. And that was, that was a lot of fun. But also uh, having lunch together and, and looking to the future was, was uh, I find that fun as, as well. I do want to just quickly remind you, just this Sunday, maybe next Sunday, uh, about the pledge cards, because if you haven't had a chance to submit one of them, I want to invite you to please prayerfully consider doing that. It's all about the whole church body um, owning this vision together, and it's only achievable when we all play our small part. And so if you haven't yet done that, there is a box at the back that's got a big Heart for Hills logo on there, and I invite you to please um, consider filling that in. There's two sections there. The first one is just a, it's a one-off gift for uh, we're looking at the renovation of this auditorium. And the second part, and so we're asking you to consider both these parts, one and two. The second part is an ongoing gift. And if anything, that's probably the really important one because we've committed to a substantial loan, as you know, together. We all agreed together that we would do that. And so if, if we can all please think about that. If you've only done number one and you didn't realize that about number two, it's not too late for you to submit another card and you can just make a note of that, that it's in addition or it's replacing perhaps the one that you've already done. And so please have a good think about that this week or even today if, it's, if, if you could do that. Well, we're uh, welcome to week 10 in our series in Hebrews. I love it when we do these series where we just go through a book of the Bible. And to be honest, at the beginning, I never know how many weeks it's going to take. I have a rough idea, and invariably, they take a lot longer than you think. Right? I remember once when, uh, do you remember when I preached through Luke? And I remember saying to some local pastors, I was a pretty fresh uh, pastor at the time, and they said, well, how long are you going to take? And I, I said, oh, you know, three months or something like that. And they were like, three months? You'll see. And it took us nearly a year, right? And so that's just what happens. So we're up to week 10. Two weeks ago... Uh, we, had a, we had a rather frustrated author in chapter 5, you know, kind of directly expressing his observation that many in the church, you know, were stuck on the milk, spiritually immature. Does anyone remember that sermon? Yeah, that's good. And so the challenge was to consider where we're at. You know, are we maturing and, and moving into more and more solid food, or are we still stuck on... On, that, on the baby's bottle, you know, 10 years after we've said yes to Jesus, or 20 years, or 30 years, or 40 years, are we still on the baby's bottle? And my contention in that message was that our emotional health and our spiritual health are intertwined and that our emotional unhealthiness holds us back spiritually. Well, this week's passage kind of continues in a somewhat similar vein, which makes sense because Hebrews has a point that it's trying to make, that the author's trying to make. So today we're going to be in chapter 10. If you're wondering why we've gone from chapter 5 to chapter 10, it's because there were some big theological sections there that we dealt with previously that were kind of spread out. And I did say to you, we're going to come back and, and find these little golden nuggets that we were skipping over in that point. And so that's what we've been doing. So chapter 10. And this week's call is for us to persevere, you know, to, to remain faithful. We speak a lot about God's faithfulness to us, and so we should. We need to hear it. But there's sometimes when the Bible is saying to us directly, how about our faithfulness to God? 
Anyone who knows Hebrews well knows that we're approaching chapter 11, which is like this beautiful roll call of the heroes of the faith. And so in a couple of weeks' time, we're going to do a little mini-series within the bigger series, and we're going to look at some of those names that the author lists in Hebrews. And so I've invited the other pastors and one or two ministerial students. They're going to, they're going to pick a name, and they're going to tell us about that particular person of faith and, and how we can learn lessons from them, what their example would be for us. But for today, I've called today's message, Hold the Line. You know, like the old Toto song, does anybody remember? There is a theme through Hebrews where he's saying to the, to the church, remain faithful. Remember back in, in, I think it was week one or two, where he, he said, hey, some of you are drifting. Don't drift. Patiently endure the trials you're facing. You know, persevere. I think he... he he felt like this was his ministry when he wrote this letter or preached the sermon or whatever it was. He wanted to tell a church, you can do this, you need to do this. Patiently endure, because it's worth it. So we're in uh, chapter 10, as I said, we're going to start at verse 23 today. You'll be familiar with this first verse because I've used it already. Let us hold tightly without wavering to the hope we affirm, for God can be trusted to keep his promise. So my first point, actually, Lex used last week. You know, he stole, stole it a little bit off me. <laughs> stole my thunder. No, that was an amazing sermon, wasn't it, yeah. from Pastor Lex? Yeah. Man, he is good. <laughs> Hold tightly to God and his promises. Now, when I was about nine or ten, our family drove to to Melbourne for a Christmas holiday, visited some friends down there. And at New Year's Eve, we went to see some other people. I can't even remember who they are, but we went to see another family for, for a New Year's Eve gathering. I think it was in like Ballarat or something like that, one of those little regional Victorian towns. And I can remember as we approached this person's property in the, in the front kind of paddock, they had this, let's call it a ride going, which they labelled the skidder, okay? And the skidder was basically an upside-down car bonnet tied to this old bomb that they would pull around the paddock in circles, and you would sit on this skidder and hold on for dear life, this little tiny piece of rope, while they flicked around and you kind of went out behind them. You're a bit like, you know, when you go on a ski boat on a tube and they hit the corner and you go flying out around the back. The difference is when you come off in a tube in the water, you hit water. The skidder, you just came off into this grass paddock and hope you didn't hit anything that was, that was going to hurt too much. And, and, you know, as a young person, it looked like fun. And when I got on it, it was sheer terror. <laughs> All I can remember is holding on tightly as I could, petrified, it was this little piece of rope, you know, burning your hands. You've wrapped it around and you grip on tightly and you're thinking, slow down, please. Slow down. And uh, that was God reminding me to keep moving. <laughs> but in some ways, this is what the, the author of Hebrews is saying. Hold on tight to Jesus because in more ways than one, you know, he's saving us from falling off. Even though it's, it's hard to hold on in life sometimes. You hold on. 
You're trusting God's promises through thick and thin. You know, you're, you're out on the edge. It's going really fast. You feel like you want to fall off and that you're going to get hurt. But the best bit is that because Jesus isn't just this flimsy little piece of rope that burns your hands as you desperately try to hold on. Because what, what, what I didn't tell you was that sitting beside me was my dad. And he knew we were going too fast. And so he held on to me. I know, it's pretty good, eh? <laughs> it works, right? And if the skitter is the ride of our life, Jesus sits beside us holding on, hold, keeping us on board. You know, the more we grab a hold of him, the more he grabs a hold of us. And that's what James says, right? That's what Hebrews tells us to do. The problem often in our life is our circumstances, they are scary and and it feels like it's out of control, you know, and and the author here uses the word, you, you, you waver when this happens. You kind of release your grip a little bit. It's too hard to hold on. The thing is, there's no promise in the Bible that says that following Jesus will free us from difficult circumstances. You know, sorry about that. But it's not there. You know, there's, there's this teaching sometimes in Christianity that says that if you follow Jesus, all those things are just going to just melt away and life is going to be beautiful, perfect for you. God's going to bless you with health and wealth and good times and if you don't have those things, it's probably on you because of your lack of faith. That's the teaching that we sometimes hear, and it's just false. Those aren't the rewards of faith. God may bless you with wealth, but I assure you, it's not for us to hoard. It's so that we can bless others. I'm not saying either that God's out to spoil your life. On the contrary, he's interested in the most important thing in your life. That's right here. It's here. It's your heart. It's who you are. That's what he wants to give you, a pure heart, a close relationship with him. That's the gift he wants you to have above all else. And while it's true that God provides for our needs, and while it's true that he does heal, and while it's true that he does restore and make new, and you know, I preach on those things every single week, there's no promise that we're going to just be free of trouble. It's not there. You only have to look at the example of his disciples to know what it's like to really count the cost, to carry the cross. One day we will be free of those things, but that time is not yet. The promise is of a God who not only experienced the difficulty and the pain we walk through, but completely understands, and he promises he will walk with you. He will grab onto you when the things are going out of control, giving us what we need to hold on. And to endure. And so the point is this our faith is not based on our circumstances. Our faith is not based on just the answers to prayer that God gives me. Our faith is based on who God is and what He has already done for us on the cross and what He has promised to do. That's the foundation that we can rest on. Yes, of course, He blesses us. Yes, He answers prayer. Yes, He does miracles and all those things. They ignite our faith. You know, I did a whole series on miracles. I'm with you on that. Don't. Think that I'm saying that's not the case. But here is the thing. If God never answered a prayer for the rest of my life, and I'm not saying he won't because he will, but if he didn't, he has still done enough for me to hold tight and not waver. His grace is enough. That's what Paul tells us. 
He has proved himself again and again and again. It's in the Bible. It's in our own personal testimonies. God is faithful. We can completely trust in him, so we should hold tightly to him and his promises and not waver. That's the point I want you to have. Verse 24. Let us think of ways to motivate one another to acts of love and good works. And let us not neglect our meeting together as some people do, but encourage one another, especially now that the day of his return is drawing near. Pastors love this one. (laughs) Number two, embrace the benefit of the church. Embrace it. Are you talking about holding on? Embrace the church. The best way you can hold on, or one of the best ways you can hold on and walk with God is by doing it with others. And to be honest, here's the thing. In my own experience, the quality of my walk with God is is generally as good as those around me. (laughs) I know it's my responsibility to work on my walk with God, but it works better when we do it together. And when the people around me are on fire for Jesus, so am I. This is why Jesus started the church. Can I just challenge you for a moment? I've talked at length about finding forgiveness and healing if you've been hurt by the church. I've talked about that before. So I'm not going to cover that today. If you've missed that teaching or opportunity, you please come and see me. I want to I help you. But I want to jump straight in. The church needs you. And you need the church. I know there's a long list of good reasons why we might neglect meeting with the church family. And again, I'm not going to go over that list today. I wrote one out and I deleted it. It's not for today. Because I'm just going to sit in this teaching from Hebrews. He didn't write a list of things about what's wrong with the church. I reckon you could go on for hours if you wanted to. But Hebrews didn't. It simply said, don't neglect it. Because your walk with God depends on it. I, I'm, I'm putting it out there. I'm saying it. Your faithfulness to God depends on it. And that goes for your spouse and your kids. The, the, the wider church depends on you not neglecting your attending, your, your part, your role in, in the church community. This is not... Me being like the Pharisees and guilting you into some kind of legalism, you know, they're always going on about the Sabbath and stuff like that. This is wisdom from God's word. It's beneficial to a life that, that is to the full that Jesus calls us to. We're just, we're just better together. Even, even the introverts. <laughs> it's, the extroverts are laughing. Even the introverts, it's better, we're better together. God even gives us special gifts and talents to make it all function according to his purpose. It's a beautiful, life-giving thing when the church is healthy and fruitful. Yes, it takes extra work and determination when it's not, but this right here is God's plan. And I want to encourage you, church, our culture in the last decade or so, you know, it's been busier and busier lives. And I believe it's leading to a new kind of culture of sporadic participation. Hebrews says, 
You know, the word of God says, don't neglect it. Together we can motivate each other to love God more, to love each other more, to love our neighbours more. Now Hebrews moves on as he tends to do, sorry, he or she tends to do all over the place sometimes, but now Hebrews moves on to this big warning, okay? Verse 26. Dear friends, if we deliberately continue sinning after we have received knowledge of the truth, there is no longer any sacrifice that will cover these sins. There is only the terrible expectation of God's judgment and the raging fire that will consume his enemies. For anyone who refused to obey the law of Moses was put to death without mercy on the testimony of two or three witnesses. Just think how much worse the punishment will be for those who have trampled on the Son of God and have treated the blood of the covenant, which made us holy as if it were common and unholy, and have insulted and disdained the Holy Spirit who brings God's mercy to us. For we know the one who said, and he quotes, I will take revenge, I will pay them back. He also said the Lord will judge his own people. It is a terrible thing to fall into the hands of the living God. I could easily have skipped over this one. But I can't. It's God's word. My third point is don't forget the high cost of our salvation. You know, when Hebrews warns us about how terrible it is to fall into the hands of the living God, he means someone who's not at peace with God. So the warning lights of judgment go off. True repentance, I think is what he's saying, is revealed in our actions. Remember from our series in James, this, this was, James made this one crystal clear. Real faith in God is revealed here in who we are, what we do, what we say. Just to be clear, it's not our actions that save us. All right? I always have to put that one out there. Our God's, our God's grace is what saves us. Only that's all that can. Okay? But genuine salvation should be evident in us. It has to be. James says there's dead faith and there's living faith. And the two stand in contrast to each other. And so Hebrews tells us, to deliberately go on sinning like nothing has changed is pointing to a, a big problem. So it's a warning, isn't it? It's pointing to a big problem, a dead faith. In fact, the author goes one step further and says, if you know the truth and you deliberately go on sinning, you know, openly, defiantly rebelling against God, you have, and I, and I, and I quote, just so you don't think it's me, you have trampled on the Son of God and have treated the blood of the covenant, covenant which made us holy as if it were common and unholy and have insulted and disdained the Holy Spirit. End quote. Maybe you think I'm being a bit harsh here, but I'm just reading the Bible. <laughs> the harsh bit, I, I was thinking about this, the harsh bit is also in reverse. Jesus gives his life to save each one of us from that judgment because he loves us so much, only to have us, or only to have people ignore him and his commands. I mean, that's harsh, isn't it? Imagine doing that for someone. I mean, you can't imagine it if you die for someone, but you know what I mean. That kind of love and sacrifice for someone, only to have them say, no. 
Don't want it. The Bible is clear that there's a day of judgment and only those who repent and believe are made righteous and saved. I don't mean to sound all fire and brimstone here today, but I can't skip over this. Even if you only follow the red parts in the New Testament, the words of Jesus, he still talks about judgment. A good person, this is what he says in Matthew, a good person produces good things from the treasury of a good heart and an evil person produces evil things from the treasury of an evil heart. And I tell you this, you must give an account on judgment day for every idle word you speak. The words you say will either acquit you or condemn you. That's the, that's the red bits in the Bible. Now, of course, God's grace overcomes our past, present, and future sin, but to be willfully and deliberately going on sinning and then claim grace over that, I think you're playing a dangerous game because Hebrews says, maybe there's no cover for that. In other words, our repentance needs to be genuine. It can't be mere words. Look, maybe I'm on shaky ground here with some of you, but I'm just reading the Bible. So please see me afterwards if you want to sort that out. I'm going to move on because the author of Hebrews finishes with some encouragement. And here we are in verse 32. Think back only, sorry, think back on those early days when you first learned about Christ. Do you remember when you first said yes to Jesus? You know, you might have been real little, or maybe it's more recent for some of you. This is what the, the author's saying. Just think back to that for a second. For some of you, it's a long way. But think back to it. Remember how you remained faithful even though it meant terrible suffering? It's speaking to a, a church where they had to suffer for their belief in Jesus, for following him. You know, they were really persecuted. Really persecuted. Sometimes they're forced out of their, their own home and out of their own city. Verse 33, Sometimes you were exposed to public ridicule and were beaten, and sometimes you helped others who were suffering the same things. You suffered along with those who were thrown into jail and when all you owned was taken from you, amazingly, you accepted it with joy. <laughs> you knew there were better things waiting for you that will last forever. You know, it's a little bit hard to relate sometimes to some of that, but listen to this and apply it to your own personal struggles at least. Verse 35, so do not throw away this confident trust in the Lord. You know, if you're going through the difficulty or a difficult time at the moment, hear the, hear the word today. Don't throw away your confident trust in the Lord. Remember the great reward he brings you. Patient endurance is what you need right now so that you will continue to do God's will. Then you will receive all that he has promised. And then he quotes, for in just a little while, the coming one will come and not delay, and my righteous ones will live by faith, but I will take no pleasure in anyone who turns away. But we are not like those who turn away from God to their own destruction. We are the faithful ones whose souls will be saved. He cuts the chase, doesn't he, this, this person? You know, he, he gets to the real stuff. Point number four is persevering with God is so worth it. Is it worth it, church? I mean, incredibly, he perseveres with us. <laughs> he must really love us because the only thing we bring to the table is the relationship that he wants. 
In December 1944, Hitler decided to throw everything at the Allies in a last gasp effort to strike back against the advance of the Allies. And threw a, he, he threw a surprise attack at them in the Ardennes forest in Belgium. And it caught the Allies off guard, and they suffered many losses, and thousands were killed and injured. We know it today as the Battle of the Bulge. I've mentioned this before. I'm a fan, although it's not quite the right word, but I really appreciate the HBO series by Tom Hanks and Steven Spielberg called Band of Brothers. I just think it's amazing. There's two episodes there that, that, that covered the 101st Airborne Division's role in, in winning this battle in Belgium, the Battle of the Bulge. They were completely outnumbered. They, had, uh, they didn't have the equipment that the, that the Germans had. They had no winter clothes. They were short of ammunition. And I remember this one scene vividly where there was um, a sergeant and two of his uh, men in him in this foxhole just staring in, in, with snow all around them, staring at the advancing army. And the other two were saying to him, we, we can't do it, we, there's no way, we, we can't make it, we should retreat. And the, the sergeant turned to them and said, we're going to hold the line here. Just that one line. We're going to hold the line here. See, many divisions had been there before them and had retreated because they had faced this onslaught. But the 101st refused, even though it seemed impossible, even though it cost them dearly. And it once again turned the, the tide in, in the war. Christians are called to hold the line. For some, it's persecution that can cause people to waver. That's something that we struggle to identify with. We might be able to identify with this much, but not compared to what a lot of our Christian brothers and sisters go through around the world. But for some, it's pressure, and that, that can be us. For some, it's the temptations of the world. For others, it's just poor spiritual maturity and lack of commitment and discipline. Hebrews is calling us today... You know, God is faithful. Let's be faithful. Hold the line. Persevere. The same way Christ does for us. It's not for nothing. In fact, those who persevere, there is a reward. We just read about it. Verse 35, don't throw away your confident trust in the Lord. Remember the great reward it brings you. Patient endurance is what you need now so that you will continue to do God's will. Then you will receive all that he has promised. All that he's promised. It's a promise to receive promises. I was thinking, well, what are the promises? So this is a list that I made today. Just off the top of my head. He promises his spirit in us. He promises his help and guidance. He promises to never leave us. He promises actually our, our salvation. He promises his wisdom for us when we ask it. That's pretty good. He promises peace and joy and love and adoption into his family and his provision for our needs and rest when we're weary and strength and courage and power to heal and cast our demons and to always hear our prayers, to intercede on our behalf. He promises deliverance from evil and enemies and from temptation. He promises us renewal to always be in control when it doesn't seem like 
anyone's in control. He is. He promises to come back again. He promises us eternal life. He promises riches in heaven. And he promises to be faithful to us. And that's just my list. I'm sure you could add more. As you go through life with Jesus, you'll discover that not everyone that you know will hold tightly. And it will be hard. Young people, let me just... They're all out, aren't they? Okay, young adults. It will be hard. You will feel alone at times. People will sound convincing about why you should give up. It happened to Jesus. Even when people were right there in front of him, face to face, when they saw his miracles. John 6 tells the story. He just finished feeding thousands of people and then he does some really hard teaching. Really hard. Here's what happened in John chapter 6, verse 66. At this point, many of his disciples turned away and deserted him. Then Jesus turned to the twelve and he said, Are you going to leave? And Simon Peter replied, Lord, to whom will we go? You have the words to give eternal life. We believe and we know you are the Holy One of God. Through your life, people you love will stop holding tightly to that hope and let go. I'm not telling you to give up on them. God doesn't, but it happens. You know, just this week I listened to a, an interview with Jeff Bullock. Who remembers him? We used to sing a lot of his songs back in the 90s. And sadly, he says he's not a Christian anymore. He doesn't believe in the Jesus of the Bible, that, that it's true. This is the man who wrote these words that used to mean so much to me when I sang them. He said, I will never be the same again. I can never return. I've closed that door. I will walk the path, I'll run the race, and I'll never be the same again. You know, I I, I pray Jeff will find his way back. I pray that he'll be loved and supported by Christian friends with compassion and understanding as he goes through what he's going through. You know, we don't reject people because they've walked away. Please don't ever do that. But, you know, young people, I just want you to to hear the heart of of Peter. To whom will we go? There is no one else. Jesus says, I am the way, I am the truth, I am the life. And if you're wavering this morning, Hebrews is for you. Hold tightly to your hope in him, because I promise you, God is holding tight to you. He's keeping you on the skitter. He's fighting your battles. He's giving you what you need. He's giving you gifts. He's preparing a place. Let's pray together.
Lord, even though um, we read the, the words of that song from Jeff Bullock, they, they just ring so true for me still, for me today. Lord, as we walk that path, as we run the race, we will never, there's no going back, Lord. There's no going back. How can we, how can we go back after all you've done for us? God, we pray for Jeff Bullock and, and I ask, Father, that whatever is just covering over the, the, you know, the love you have for him right now or whatever's, whether it's hurt and pain from his past, I don't know. God, we pray that he make his way back to you. But Lord, for us here today, uh, we just, we commit ourselves afresh. We're holding on real tight, God knowing that you were right there beside us, arm around, holding on to us. And I don't know, Lord, maybe one day we will experience something like our brothers and sisters do in other countries, but even if we don't, Father, protect us from the things of this world that want to draw us away. Uh, keep us close to you. Lord, unite your church together in love help us to hold on to each other tightly